On Personally Speaking this week, our guest is Benjamin Hall, who's written a powerful new book called Saved about his experience as a journalist in Ukraine. Please stay with us. Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jimasanti, and Fox News Channel's veteran war correspondent, Benjamin Hall, joins me now. As a journalist for Fox News, Ben has worked in dangerous zones like Syria and Afghanistan. In February 2022, when Russia viciously attacked Ukraine, Ben volunteered to go there because he thought it was important for Americans to understand this world-altering conflict. A few weeks later, Ben was catastrophically wounded when his crew was struck by incoming fire, killing his colleagues, Pierre and Sasha, Ben credits a miracle that enabled him to survive. He's here with us today to tell us his story of how he was saved and continues his recovery after the 30 and counting surgeries he's endured. Ben Hall will also talk about his family, including his wife and three beautiful young daughters, and the optimistic nature he says he's blessed to have. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking, Fox News Channel journalist Benjamin Hall. We're talking to Benjamin Hall. It's a wonderful opportunity. We're going to talk about his book, which is called Saved. I'm hoping our listeners and watchers around the world will pick it up because it's really a great read. And I'm not just saying that because Ben Hall is here, but because I really enjoyed reading it. Let, let me start with a very simple question. Uh, Benjamin Hall is our guest. In, in my work, I deal pretty much every week with people who are uh, uh, physically or mentally challenged. Uh, the disabled, the handicapped, whatever you want to call folks, I've often thought to myself, I wonder how I would handle it if I had not just the hidden disabilities we all have, but um, disabilities that would affect me physically. Before the attack, did you ever think, Ben, about being a disabled person and how you might manage it? Often. Um, it's funny you ask that question because I, I talk about that quite often. And we talk about resilience and how you can get through uh, something that is so difficult. And um I have covered so many wars during during my career, last 15 years. And whenever I saw someone, you know, who was injured or who had lost everything, I always thought, how would I deal with it? Would I be able to find the strength to get through? And uh, I don't think you really know until it happens to you. But um, I thought about that. And I, I think I would, with some confidence, would have said that I think I would have done quite well. I think yeah. that I would have had... had I would have trusted in my faith. I would have trusted in my dedication to my family. And I think I always knew that those are the things that could get me through almost anything. Um, and then when it finally happened to me, those are the things that I thought about. I went straight there again. Even when I was lying on the ground and I'd been injured, I thought about those two things. And they got me through not only that day, but they got me through all the recovery of the next six months, holding on to the few things that matter. And everything else disappears. And that's what you work towards. Benjamin Hall has uh, three beautiful daughters, and in the book, aside from writing about them, he also has some beautiful pictures. But one picture in particular, Benjamin, uh, touched me. It's your three little girls all clinging on to Daddy, and it was as if they didn't see anything different about Daddy. Uh, how have you been able to explain that Daddy's the same but different? Yeah, I think the priority for us, as soon as this happened, was making sure that the children uh, um, got through this without too much 
pain, too much hurt of themselves. And um, we wanted to be very open with them early on that I had been injured, but we, but we didn't want to, to uh, upset them too much. And that was the balancing act. Mm-hmm. I was lucky that my children were younger. My youngest two were at the ages of two and four when, when the attack happened. I think they were luckily at an age where they weren't open yet. They, they, they didn't understand it fully. Um, my eldest does understand a little bit more. She was six at the time. She's now seven. And to this day, when I am at home, my younger two, they never asked me about it. For them, this was how I always was. But my eldest asked me quite often. She uh, Most days, she asks about explosions and about sudden injuries. And if uh, this happened to me, why didn't that happen to me? So I think I was very lucky that they were younger because I spoke to a number of other um, veterans who had similar injuries. And the story that I heard from many of them was when they had children who were slightly older, in their teenage years, it was very uh, a lot harder for them that they already had a much stronger idea of who their father was and when that was taken away and when limbs were taken away that hurt a lot more and some of them were quite afraid of their their father when they when they came home with prosthetics on so i think that i was in some ways very lucky that my children were young enough that that they were able to adapt so easily but we still talk about it every day we still look at them more than anything else making sure that this isn't something that upsets them too much um and it is difficult there are periods which are hard because they know I am in some ways different. When we go out in the streets, people always look. I have prosthetics on. I, there are many things I can't do. So we we have become, you know, a family that people look at and talk about. And so we will constantly be watching them. Uh, my mom lives here with me. She's 102. And her uh, caretaker today is Portia. She was looking through the book and she saw the beautiful picture of the girls. She said, now, what are their names? And I said, uh, Honor. <laughs> And Iris and Hero, and she said, those are beautiful, but how did they come to be chosen as the names for your children? Well, um, Honor was, um, well, if I can be honest, Honor was, uh, I can't, who was, um, I can't even remember now. She was in um, in Goldfinger. Who was the actress? Honor Black. Uh, that's right, Honor Black. <laughs> <laughs> so strangely enough, we were looking for a name, and um I saw the poster honor and we just thought what a beautiful name and what a wonderful you know um honor it's something that we should all hope to to have and to a lot to live up to Ben yes it is (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think she can do it though I know she can um Iris we just thought it's beautiful and I think um for my wife in particular flowers uh you know they grow they're gifts from God they're beautiful they can be strong They, they 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 come back again um Hero was, um, it's actually an old Shakespearean name. It was in uh, a couple of Shakespeare plays early on. And right. we, I think, uh, were with the third child, uh, willing to go a little bit, uh, find a slightly more a different name. Yeah, I, I love them. They're beautiful, you know, and I know people consider you for going through this, uh, someone who's a hero. And I know you, you, you poo-poo that. But having said that, let me ask you, one of the ways in which heroism is expressed is not only in the moment when you're in a car that's attacked by Russian forces, but... Uh, when I heard that you have so far lived through 30 surgeries, I've been in the hospital twice and both times it was an incredible test of my patients. Where do you find the patients to say, doctors, do what you need to do to get me well? Where does the patients come from? You know, very early on, as soon as I was, um, the, the evacuation from Ukraine was difficult. That took mm-hmm. a few days, but I, I made it to Landstuhl, a U.S. base in Germany, where they treated so many of the injured from Afghanistan and Iraq. And as soon as I got there, 
the doctors came to me and they said, look, we're looking at a couple of your injuries. Your left foot's almost gone. Your right leg's gone. Um, we can try and save some of your the left foot. We can do that, but it might be hard. We would suggest there are other options. And I said, look, I trust you. You know what's going to be best, not just for now, but for the long term. And if it's going to be a battle for many years, I'd rather you take a more difficult decision now, knowing that that it will be a better, you know, better long term decision. And so early on, I said to myself, the doctors know more than I do. And I'm not a patient who can come in and say with any idea of what's best or how to be treated. And so you have to put yourself fully in the hands of the doctors. You've got to understand that they've treated so many people who have these polytrauma uh, injuries um, like I had. And that's what I did. Patience is an interesting word because the worst thing about a hospital is that you are there in a bed and you can't yeah. move for yeah. months. And right. you have to find, and I'm someone who loves moving, you know, always moved. And so that was one of the hardest parts was suddenly being patient, being told that this could take two years. You know, I actually got home in about six months, but I had to mentally brace myself that I needed to find patience, needed to find ways of passing my day and of channeling my thoughts into something productive. And that is what led to the book. From very early on, I knew that it, what I had gone through, I had to face up very firmly to the difficult thoughts and to the death of my friends. Um, and I had to write that down. And so that's really how I am. Um, how I pass so much time. Benjamin Hall is our guest. Benjamin, I, you know, one of the things I was concerned about, I remember reading years ago an autobiography by Catherine Hepburn, the actress, and she said, um, I never married and I never had children because I am essentially a selfish person and I know I'd have to give up my career. I mention that because you are in a career following and covering wars for years that puts you in great danger a lot of the time. So I'm wondering how someone who knows he's putting himself at risk makes the kind of a challenging decision to say, I'm going to marry, I'm going to be a dad, I'm going to still work in a very dangerous world, but uh, tell us how you came to the decision of I can do this work, put myself at risk, and at the same time be there for my wife and children. Well, there was actually, there, there had been a period of transition over the last few years. And um, when my wife and I met, I was covering conflicts, and um, mm. that's what I loved doing. I believe that it was really important. I believe the stories were important. I, I wanted to shed a light on you know, conflicts around the world. But yeah. as we started having children, my wife and I always spoke about whether it was the right thing to do, whether or not it was time to pull back. And um, we slowly, you know, as we had more children, uh, my wife mm. uh, spoke a little bit more freely about it and started to say, I think that we need to find another segue for you. And in fact, when this happened, I had recently moved to D.C. I had moved to become the State Department correspondent um, with the main idea that I wanted to stop covering so many wars. Um, and then I had moved to D.C. and here I was and Russia invaded Ukraine and the call came through. Did I want to go? And, you know, deep down, that's what I do. That's what I love doing. It's what I think is so important. And this was a, you know, the largest invasion that we've seen in Europe since mm -hmm. World War II. And I had to be there. And I spoke to my wife and I said, I know this is going back into a war zone, but I think it's really important. I think we have to do it. So, you know, that dialogue about whether to continue covering wars, how dangerous was it for the family, um, was always there. And I, I had thought about putting it back, but I understand that. You love doing something so much, but sometimes you have to maybe give up something mm -hmm. that you love, uh, you know, for, for the sake of your family. But it's uh, to this day, I I would run back. 
and keep covering conflict if I think the story was important, you know, so I'm, I'm still torn on it. Benjamin Hall's our guest. This book is saved. I have to ask you that uh, about that war. We Americans initially, well, this is so horrible what's happening to the folks in Ukraine and great enthusiasm for supporting the effort against Russia's invasion. But you know and I know that in some political circles, there are folks who are now saying, well, let's slow this down a little bit. You've been there. You've seen what what's going on in Ukraine. Is this a cause worth fighting? Yes, I think absolutely it is. Um, not necessarily, not for American soldiers, uh, by the way. But mm-hmm. I mean, certainly, I think that when you have evil like this and they are invading and taking away the homes and bombing the schools and mm. uh, you know across a country, then I think it is the duty, the response, the responsibility of countries who can help to do what they can. And um, you know, I think that it's important to help Ukraine hold them back and i do think it sends a message i think if you don't what message does that send to every other despot out there who wants to invade you know they must know that they can't get away with it they must know that there will be good there to hold back the evil and i think Mm. that's happened quite successfully in ukraine and i was interviewing uh, secretary blinken just yesterday and i asked him this exactly and i said where we currently stand looks like a little bit of a stalemate on the battlefield some people would say and his response was uh, we consider at this point a great victory we think that Russia wanted to take over the whole country yeah. and they have been held back towards the east. And um, he touted that as a real success story, that they have managed to hold back this evil. Not totally. Russia can t- still hold 17 uh, percent of the country, but you know they're very proud of what they've done in, in keeping the Russians back. I, I need to know, too, in terms of the future, um, you were taught in some ways by great parents. I'd like you to speak first to that. You and I were Alicia parents of three girls. When you look back at the way you were raised, Ben, what were your own parents about that was good for you? What did they do right? Well, I think I think they did two things. I think, first of all, they encouraged me to chase my dreams. They encouraged me to, to meet people, to understand how you know how wonderful the world is and how many different people there are and to listen to everyone and to understand every different way of life and every different story but they also told me some quite strict values you know mm-hmm. there is right and there is wrong there is hard work and there is not hard work you know and, and you have to stay on the right side of those and that requires a certain amount of effort mm-hmm. and i believe that life is about two things it's both about chasing your dreams and doing wonderful things but it's about doing so in a, in a way that upholds you know, the values that I think are so important to our society. And I think my parents did both of that for me. Um, my, my father uh, was born in the Philippines. He was there during the Japanese occupation. He was an eight-year-old boy. And he lived through four years of war under Japanese occupation. His family were killed um, all around him. Him and his younger siblings were finally rescued by um, American soldiers when they, they came back in under General MacArthur. And he was picked off the streets by them when they when they when they arrived and he made his way to the US and then he signed up himself in the US Army um, and served in Korea. And so from an early day, he always taught us the value of, you know, uh, responsibility, both to, to everything that is good and to your nation and to fighting for those things which are important. And so it happened to him and he instilled that in me at a very young age. And so that's perhaps what drove me into covering conflict in the first place. I understood what my father had been through and I thought that it made him a stronger man in many sense. Um, and uh, in, in some ways, I want to carry that on in my own life. Uh, Benjamin is a, for those who don't know, but a mixture, obviously, of the English and the American. Uh, and then he goes off and marries an Australian. So let's talk a little bit about her. Uh, every weekend I get to do weddings. That's part of my job. And I always am fascinated by what did the 
the people in front of me seeing each other that made them say, there may be a million people out there to marry, but I know this is the one for me. Uh, what did Alicia have that made you say, uh, this is it, this is her, this is the one I'm waiting yeah. for? Well, I think it was a real understanding. I think of family more than anything else. I think mm -hmm. we both understood the same values. We um, And we had very different lives in some sense. I was off covering conflicts and she was, you know, uh, selling shoes for a shoe company, a family's shoe company. And, and yet at the core, despite the different lives we led, we had exactly the same values. And we both wanted a family and we both knew that we would raise our children in the same way. Um, and so that brought us together. And I mean, it's uh, it's remarkable how people who are quite different can be brought together in that way. But um, I think I felt that from the first time I saw her, from the minute I saw her. We'd gone to school together when we were about the ages of six. We didn't see each other for 20 years or so. And she <laughs> saw me in the street one day and she came up and she remembered who I was. She saw me and she recognized me. And uh, we later found a, a, a card that she had written to me when she was six years old saying, um, I love you. Uh, six. And so here we are 20 years later and she found me again. And, uh, you know, all that time, uh, and I never knew at the time that she felt that way, but, uh, I think it ended up in the right place. Isn't that amazing? God, there are no accidents. I truly believe that. You know, uh, your book saved is obviously about the experience of being in Ukraine, but it's also an amazing tribute to a friendship with Pierre. Now, for those who don't know, Pierre is Irish born with a non-Irish name. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with Pierre and why to this day, even though he's in heaven, it's still so important to you. Oh, well, Pierre was a cameraman. He was our cameraman in London and I had worked with him constantly for six years and we covered many conflicts together. And that isn't just going out into the field and telling a story. That is sleeping in caves together. That is living in the trenches together. That is going through thick and thin and you develop a really strong bond with someone when you cover stories like that and you have to trust each other implicitly with your lives. And so he became very much like a family to me. Um, and, you know, when I went to Ukraine, he was the one person that I was going to go to work with. But on the day itself, um, we were in the car together. The bombs out of nowhere came flying out of the sky, aiming for our car. And he was the one that opened the door and got out first. And I got out a few seconds later and then the bomb, Hit, one of the bombs hit the car itself. And so I honestly think that Pierre saved my life that day. And as we were lying there on the ground together and I was badly injured, he was still alive. Um, and again, he was there trying to save me. He was trying to warn me off about any Russians around us and don't move. And uh, he sadly uh, bled out at the time. Um, but I think about him every single day. Pierre was someone who just, like me, he just loved the world. He loved telling people stories and meeting different people. And he found joy everywhere he went. In every person, he understood how amazing life can be. And you have to learn that sometimes when you cover conflicts, because as hard as it can, hard as it might seem, you have to look for the beautiful stories, the, the resilience, the people who get through war, the people who come together in unity to do it. And he taught me those stories. He taught me how to teach those stories. And um, so... I think about Pierre every day. I speak to his family all the time. And uh, I think the best way to remember Pierre um, is to go out and do the best I can every day. It's to work harder than I used to. It's to continue to tell the stories that he would have wanted to tell. Um, so I think about that a lot. And I think of Sasha, our fixer. She died that day as well. There were two Ukrainians in the car with us. They died that day as well. So I just think that being the only survivor of that attack, it's on me to go out and just do as best as I can in their names. Benjamin Hall in his book Saved uh, talks about uh, a miracle. 
And and Ben, for the sake of our listeners and watchers, uh, talk a little bit, if you can, about uh, the miracle that happened that day for you. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, when the first the first couple of bombs landed around us, and then one landed just next to the car, and I, I blacked out, and uh, it wasn't just concussed; I was totally out of it in this dark, black, peaceful, quiet place. Um, a, one of the bombs had landed just nearby, and I. I had a lot of shrapnel in my neck and in my eye at that time. So I'd taken some damage to, to my to my head. But into that darkness, when I couldn't see anything, came my daughter, Anna. And she, in the most peaceful way, came straight up to me. I could see her. She walked in front of me and she just said to me, Daddy, you've got to get out of the car. You've mm -hmm. got to get out of the car. And I I came back and I came back to myself and I opened up my eyes and I, I moved the car, grabbed towards the, the door, which was open. And I got out of the car, and then a few seconds later, the car itself was hit. Now, I think that what came to me that day it was my daughter, but I also think it was an angel. I think it was God. I think, you know, I spoke to a number of people who have had near-death experiences, and I think that you think about what, what is it that's going to wake him up again and get him out. Um, and I think that's what happened that day, and I think that that came to save me. Um, and I sat there, lay there on the ground for about 40 minutes. No one knew where we were. Uh, we were no cell phone reception because the towers had gone. And I remember thinking, um, I have to get home to see my daughters, whatever it takes. I never thought I was going to die. I said, I'm going to crawl home if I have to. Oh. And I just said a prayer. I just said, I said, you know, Lord, please take me home again. Take me back to my family, um, please. And I think that, that that day I was saved, you know, and I was saved by, I think by the angels that day. Benjamin talks about the fact that uh, people would look at his life and what's happened and talk about it in tragic terms, and he says he sees it rather as a story of goodness for all the people who were there for him and have helped him along the way. Um, in some ways, when I read that, I was like, this guy's sounding a lot like Anne Frank uh, b before she, when she wrote, you know, I still believe people are basically good, and, and even in light of what we've faced in the world, that, that spirit of hope or goodness or trust that the world is, is much better than bad. You still have that, Ben? Absolutely. More than ever. I don't look back at this and I don't think about the horror of that day or the attack. I think of the countless hundreds of people who came to help me. And that gave me so much strength. Everyone from the doctors to the physios to the, you know, the soldiers who pulled me out to all of my colleagues, to uh, every friend I've ever had who reached out, all of our, our viewers on TV who sent hundreds and hundreds of prayers to me and letters to me. And that's incredible goodness. Mm -hmm. Those are great things. And there was so much more of that than there was of the bad. You know, there were one one person who was pulling, you know, firing that that artillery, one person. And I can think of thousands who came to help me and who were so good around me. So I remember the goodness. I remember the people who helped me. And I just realized what an incredible power that really is. And um, when I move forward in my job now, I'm talking about making a series about those people, about unsung heroes, about the. You know, the people who bring communities together, who unify, because I think those are incredible stories. And I've covered war my whole career. And I think in some sense, I'm going to do a bit of a shift. I want to talk now about the incredible people out there, the brave people. Um, and, and that's something which will really that sticks with me every single minute. I wanted to ask you, too. I went down on 9-11 to see if I could help. I was in the city and I was a priest already. But I mentioned that because uh, the thing that's always amazed me was the over 300 firefighters who went everywhere in the whole world was running from those buildings, were running toward danger. 
and for most of them, there's certain death. Um, when I read your book, I'm saying so many times, Benjamin has done the same thing. He's run into places that are a risk of his life and great danger, uh, call it courage if you want or not, but what is it in your nature that runs toward the, the challenging, the difficult, the frightening? And do you get frightened, Ben? Yeah, I do, absolutely. And I think that whenever you're going into conflict, whenever you're moving up towards the front lines, you have to have a think about it. And you know, part of our job is also about understanding the difficulties, understanding the dangers. But then once you've made a, an educated decision about where you're going to go, and if you've done all the background and you know where you're moving, you have to put those fears aside. You've got to put them to one side and say, I believe in the job I'm doing. I believe in the story that I'm about to tell. I know that my viewers, my readers, they need that. Um, and so it's about balancing your fear versus um, you know, what you think is so important to do. But no, I, I, I mean, I have felt fear a number of times and um, you, you just got to do that. I'll also be honest. I also quite, yeah, I love adventure too, you know, and, <laughs> right. uh, you know, if you asked me if I wanted to sit there, run around and tell interesting stories and see people living on the very edges and, and you know, and the extremes of human experience, I, I would take running around in the, in the dangerous parts. <laughs> so you've got to love it too, you know, and that's another thing about life. You can talk about the morals and the values, but you've got to try and find something that you love doing as well. And that makes life a beautiful place. There's a, a powerful picture in, in Ben's book, Saved, and uh, there's people shooting at the enemy, and, and he's like four feet away taking a picture of the guy. I'm thinking, like, duck, Ben, duck, what are you doing standing there? You know, you're in, in harm's way. Final question, I promise. Um, Brett Baer has often been a, a guest on our show. I love Brett, but we talk about this all the time as a journalist. One of the things I love about Brett is that uh, I'm sure he has points of view, but most of his presentation of, of, of what he, he's covering seems to me pretty close to as objective as possible. You have points of view, but you're also a journalist. Is it hard, Ben, for you as a guy covering very sensitive and powerful issues where people have strong opinions both ways to just tell us what's happening objectively? Is it possible? Do you find it easy to do? No, absolutely. Um, I think it's essential and I think it's really important that we do that. But yes, you have to listen to both sides of the story. And the hardest part of being a journalist is to to whittle down the pieces that are going to be most relevant to our viewers and our audience. It's not about what I think. It's about what I think is important for them to learn so I can educate them, so I can show them both sides of the story. And we go from there. But um, yes, absolutely, you've got to find that balance. And Brett, of course, does it perfectly. You know, I, yeah. um, you know, he's the one that we, you know, we all look up to over here. So he does it well. And I hope that the rest of us can do it as well. I want to thank Benjamin Hall for this book, Save. I want to ask our listeners and viewers to get it. Um, as he mentioned a few moments ago, Ben loves adventure and there's plenty of adventure here, but it's also a story of courage and forgiveness. It's a story of, of heroism on the part of all those people that he talks about, thousands of people literally who came to his rescue. It's about a family that loves him and they loved him uh, when he was walking with two natural legs and they love him still uh, with the, the challenges that he faces physically. It's a story of faith. It's a story of uh, miracles. It's an amazing book, and you're an amazing writer and journalist. And, and Ben, I'm just so grateful to you for coming on our program, for writing the book, and uh, for what you do as a journalist. And uh, uh, Alicia and the, and the girls, you're so richly blessed, and I hope those blessings continue in abundance. Thank you so much. Thank you, Father. What a great pleasure speaking to you as well. I appreciate Good. it. As we end today's program, I want to thank you all for being with us. If you need to contact me, you can reach me at personallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer. Personally speaking, our producer is Lisa Jandovitz. Thanks so much for joining us. 
We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.